big old tree, like a big old oak tree with deep roots and a big trunk and seven limbs that are growing off of this trunk. From those limbs, there are branches and leaves. The branches and the leaves represent all of the sins that we can imagine, all of the things that people do to one another to hurt each other, the things that people do to hurt themselves, the ways that we push God away. All of these leaves connected to branches are connected to limbs, seven limbs, the seven deadly sins. You remember what they are? Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. Seven deadly sins. No matter what sin we can think of, it has some connection to one or more of these seven deadly sins. Now, these seven deadly sins, these seven branches are held up by a big old trunk, and that trunk represents idolatry. It's the sin of the Garden of Eden. It's us making something other than God of first concern to us in our lives. And all the seven deadly sins share that in common. This tree is held up by a system of roots, and we talked about that last week, how these, these roots, they, they, they represent the temptations that we give into in our lives. Temptation feeds this tree that represents sin. Today we're going to take a look at one of the big old limbs on this tree. It's the limb of pride. Pope Gregory once said that pride is the mother and queen of all vice. Could have said the father and king of all vice too, right? But when it comes to talking about pride, it's a kind of a complicated matter because, well, there are times where we're prideful and it's not a sin. There are reasons that there are times where we ought to feel a sense of pride. I'm proud of my family, of my children. I can tell you stories of all of the accomplishments of my children. I'm proud of them. I'm also proud of my grandchildren. I have the cutest grandchildren of anybody. I mean, here's some pictures just to prove it. So this is Nellie. She's the youngest of our daughter Ashley and her husband Troy. Uh, this is Colton and Morgan. Uh, they are the children of our son Seth and his wife Laura. This is, is our oldest granddaughter Isabella. She is the daughter of our, of our daughter Rani and her husband Ricardo. And so now you know, I do have the cutest grandchildren of anybody, right? Because they're my grandchildren. And we feel a sense of pride about people in our lives and people we love. And if we didn't feel a sense of pride, that would say something, wouldn't it? I'm also, well, on July 24th, the Tokyo Summer Olympics begin. And I enjoy Olympic competition. I enjoy the track and the field. I enjoy the team sports. And I love Olympic volleyball. Indoor, beach, doesn't matter. I love Olympic volleyball. I also love it when athletes from the United States win the gold. And at that awards ceremony, seeing the gold medal put over someone from our country, it makes me feel a sense of pride. And it's okay to feel a sense of pride about our country. I also am proud of this church. 
which means I'm proud of you because you are the church. And I'm proud of all that we've been able to accomplish in this place. I'm, I have a sense of pride about church, and, and I'm not alone in that. Long, long time ago, St. Paul wrote that he boasted of the church in Corinth, that he was proud of that church. Pride isn't necessarily a bad thing. So how is it that this thing, this pride that can be life-giving, can become so distorted that it becomes life-taking? Let's pause and listen to Scripture. Today's scripture is from the fourth chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 13, and Proverbs chapter, chapter 16, verse 18, from the book of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it, it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. And from Proverbs 16, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So how is it that something that's in, that is intended to be life-giving can be distorted and become life-taking? Pride. Remember how temptation works. We talked about it last week. Temptation is subtle. It does not come at us dressed up like the devil. I mean, if it did, if the devil was coming at me all, you know, dressed in red with little horns and a pitchfork, I'd say, give it your best shot, devil. I'm ready for you. But that's not how it happens. The serpent didn't say to Adam and Eve in the garden, would you like to make a total mess of your life today? It didn't say, would you like to be like the devil? No, it said, would you like to be like God? And God is good. You see, temptation comes dressed up like a friend, and it's subtle. But it's when we give in to that temptation, when we give in to, to sin, 
It's the sin that begins to distort the good gifts of God, distorts those into things that become broken and maybe even cause pain in people's lives. And so it is with what we'll call the sin of pride, of pride. So let's take a look at the sin of pride for a minute. First, let's look at the shadow that this big old limb on the tree casts. I'll call this shadow the shadow of shame because pride can impact other people's lives in ways that can cause a sense of shame. Pride can impact people's lives in such ways that people can end up feeling like they are unworthy. It can impact a person's self-esteem. They can end up feeling like their life just doesn't matter, like they don't measure up. The pride of one person can impact another person's life in those kinds of broken ways. But now let's look at the limb itself. Let's look at close at this limb. There's lots of ways to talk about it, but let's start by, by talking about the story of the narcissist. You know this, that, that is an old Greek myth. It's been told many, many times in many different ways, but basically the old myth goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a young man, the narcissist, who was very, very handsome. He was so handsome that all the girls wanted to be with him. All the boys wanted him as their best friend. Narcissists knew this, and so he became very full of himself. The gods, in order to punish him, caused him to look at his own reflection in a pool of water. And upon seeing his own reflection, he fell in love with his own beauty. And so he could not take his eyes off of himself. He lived the rest of his life in love with his beauty, unable to take his eyes off of himself. A sense of being self-absorbed, that has something to do with pride, being self-absorbed. Now, now, being self-absorbed is different than, than loving oneself. It's good to have a healthy self-love for ourselves. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, and like that, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Nothing wrong with having a healthy self-love of recognizing that God loves us, that our lives matter, how we care for ourselves is important. Those things are fine. But when self-love becomes self-absorption, when we start to think that life revolves around us, that's when a healthy love starts giving way to pride. It happens in subtle kinds of ways. Looking at this limb, here's another way to think about it. Let's just say... For example, let's just say that I'm a good preacher. I mean, I have been asked to preach at our annual conference more than any other preacher outside of bishops. And I've been asked to lead workshops and teach pastors about worship and about preaching. So I must be pretty good, right? I must be pretty good. So why not share that with as many people as possible? I could write a book, Great Sermons by Pastor David. Everybody would want it. I mean, last service, Jody said she wanted 10 copies of it. <laughs> right, everybody would want it. Pretty soon, 
I've got royalties that are starting to come in, and with the royalties come invitations to preach all over the country, maybe all over the world. I'd be filling up stadiums full of people. And of course, with such success in ministry, I'd have to have some tools in order to, you know, to be able to maintain this ministry, so I probably need my own jet, right? And I'd have to have some place of sanctuary, some place to get away from the crowds to be able to think. So maybe a house on the beach, that could be good. I could write my second book there, even better sermons by Pastor David. And with more royalties, more attention, pretty soon I'd be showing up on late night television. And then would come a movie about my life, and I'm thinking, we've got to get George Clooney to play the lead. What do you think? Right? And of course, all of that is just silliness. It's all just silliness, right? It means nothing other than it kind of makes the point of how it is that pride, the sin of pride, changes our focus. It moves our focus away from God, from calling, and it moves it to me, to you, to what I want. That's the sin of pride, this change in focus away from what's most important to things that are self-serving. It can happen in subtle ways. A few years back, and this is true, I was teaching a workshop for pastors on preaching. And during the workshop, I asked the pastors to, give, to rate themselves on a scale of one to 10. One being the worst preacher ever, and 10 being the best preacher ever, with five being an average preacher. So below five, less than average. Above five, better than average. A six, better than average. A seven, really good. An eight, excellent. A nine, great. You get the idea. So I asked them to rate themselves on this kind of a scale. And they did, about a hundred of them did. And I was shocked with the results. I was shocked. Not a single pastor there rated her or himself as average or below. Every pastor, everyone rated themselves either a seven or an eight. Everyone. And it shocked me because I had heard some of them preach. <laughs> and some of them were average at best, some of them far less than that. But every one of them, a seven, really good, you know, or excellent. And I was gonna say something to them, but I, I couldn't because I gave myself a seven too. So, <laughs> and this is kind of meaningless as well. I'm not trying to suggest that the clergy are dealing with, with issues around pride or anything like that. But we can see in this kind of a story maybe something about ourselves, about, about pride. I mean, tell me, tell me, if I think I am already excellent, how hard will I work to get better? be pretty easy for me to just think, I'm already good enough for you. And suddenly the focus begins to shift away from calling to my ability. The focus begins to shift away from this incredible and awesome responsibility that needs to be handled prayerfully, seeking God's wisdom and guidance to I could do this. It's a subtle shift that takes place in our lives as our focus begins to move away from God and more on us. 
And it can, it can begin in such simple ways. It can begin with an understanding that, that we are good and we are. You're good. I'm good. We're created in the image of God, that we are good, that we are important, and that our lives matter. But somewhere along the line, that sense of goodness begins to shift a little bit to feeling like, I'm not just good. I'm special. And I deserve special treatment. And I am better than some people. I mean, it's not hard to think that we're better than some people. Look around. Look around. We can tell we're better than a lot of people, right? Right? And that sense of superiority is one of the faces of pride. If you trace racism back to its roots, you find the sin of pride. If you trace ageism or sexism back to its roots, you find the sin of pride. If you trace any kind of prejudice back to its roots, you find the sin of pride. And it shows itself in so many ways. Have you ever been irritated with somebody else because they were doing something in a way that was different than how you would do it? And of course, the way you do it is the best way to do it. Have you ever thought, you know, I may not be perfect, but I'm a lot better than my next door neighbor. Have you ever bumped your head up against another person and decided I'm not going to budge? They're going to have to come to me because I'm the one that is right. Even low self-esteem can have some pride mixed into it. Out of this place of low self-esteem, a person can, can spend their whole life seeking to, to find ways to make other people like them. And this search for some kind of significance becomes one's life. And the irony, of course, is that it's not from focusing on our insecurity, but focusing on God that we understand our significance. Churches. Churches are guilty of the sin of pride. Our denomination is guilty of the sin of pride. Have you ever heard somebody say, I know what other people ought to believe? And of course, what they mean by that is other people ought to believe what I believe, right? Or have you ever heard people say, I know how other people ought to behave, what they ought to do, how they ought to act. And of course, what they mean by that is they ought to behave, they ought to act the way I think they ought to act. Spiritual arrogance has a parent named pride. So does conceit. So does being egocentric. So does racism and prejudice and on and on the list goes. But now, lest we think that pride is not our problem, remember that the result of sin is always brokenness. It's always brokenness. Adam and Eve in the garden give in to the temptation to eat the forbidden fruit. And what happens after that? They start pointing fingers. Eve blames the serpent. Adam blames Eve. They both blame God. And we see brokenness enter into their relationships. And this brokenness begins to cloud their vision. 
And that's what sin does to us. Sometimes it's hard for us to see ourselves clearly, to see what it is that we are doing. But what we can see is broken relationships. And if we look into the broken relationships of our lives, if we take a good close look at those relationships, we are apt to find amidst the brokenness a little bit of pride. So what are we to do? How do we fix this problem? You know, there's a hint of pride in the question. How about this? If pride is a poison, the sin of pride is a poison, what's the antidote? The antidote would be a good dose of humility. Do you remember how often in the Bible we're reminded to remember? Remember what God has done. Remember who you are. Remember that God is God and we are not. As we remember that God is God and we are not, as we remember who we are, as we remember all that God has done in the midst of remembering God, a sense of humility begins to grow over us. And the more we focus upon God, the more that humility gets woven into us. It's like, it's like, it's easy for us to live life in this kind of a posture. You know, looking down at other people, elevating ourselves. It's easy to live life in that kind of posture. But for Christians, the posture that we're called to is this kind of a posture, on our knees. Instead of looking down at people, we're looking up at God. And as we look up at God, we realize we don't have to be right about everything. God is right. We don't have to know everything. We can't. We're children. And it's in that posture of humility that the sin of pride is redeemed. And it becomes something that is life-giving, a blessing to other people. We do well to remember, to remember who we are, to remember that we stand in need of the grace of God, to remember the mystery of the ways that God is at work in our lives in this world, to remember how much we need God and God's wisdom for our lives. We do well to remember that we are children. When Jesus says, to his disciples, lest you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He is not saying to grown-ups, pretend to be children. He's saying to children, stop pretending to be grown-ups. We are children. On our knees, looking up to a God in whom we know the depth of love and through whom we share that love. Thanks be to God. Amen.